You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, let's jump in. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Holding Space Podcast. Today's episode, we are going to explore with each other two things and see how they're related. Brene Brown's research around shame and what is commonly called mom guilt. So Brene Brown is, if you don't know who she is, potentially you've been living under a rock Maybe not, but in my world, in my world as a clinician and mental health provider, Brene Brown is a rock star. She is a researcher, educator, writer, author, and her area of expertise is around shame. Also, she's looked at things such as empathy and belonging and perfectionism. She's written some incredible books, Rising Strong, Daring Greatly, The Gifts of Imperfection. Most recently, I finished her most recent book, Braving the Wilderness. This book is a game changer. I just finished it. And if you have not read Braving the Wilderness yet, you know, you can just stop listening to this podcast right now. You can press pause and come back to this whenever and go by listen to that book. It is it is a game changer. I feel like every citizen of our country, of our world, could benefit from this book. Uh, Braving the Wilderness is really about how can we begin to understand how we're all interconnected to each other. How can we have conversations with people that we feel that we really differ from or that we have different experiences from or different beliefs or different values? How do we come together and have conversations? And I think right now with our political climate and how divisive everybody feels and is that everybody could benefit from reading this book so that we can begin to reclaim connection with our communities and with each other. So Brene Brown, I was just finishing up my last, her last book and I found myself really interested in looking at some of her original research. As a researcher myself, I really value looking at those original studies, what approaches did they use, how did they come up with their answers in the research that they were doing. So because I'm a professor and I have access to these sorts of peer-reviewed publications and articles, I went in and did some searches and found some of Brene Brown's original work and these and these studies. And one of the studies that I found uh, back in 2006 by Brene Brown. This study was called Shame. The study and publication was called Shame Resilience Theory: A Grounded Theory Study on Women and Shame. And as I was reading through this article, what I just had this like aha moment and felt deeply connected to the things that I was reading and my own personal experiences of mom of what is called mom guilt but also the experiences of the women and mothers that I work with and I became really curious to see how how do these things that are showing up in her foundational work and in these studies 
relate to and can be applied to moms in particular. So what you can expect in this episode is to become more intimate with an understanding of shame and guilt, get a closer look at some of Brene Brown's foundational work that really became the launching point for all the work that she's done since then, and really get a better understanding of how we can apply research and evidence that Brene Brown has done into our experiences, the unique experiences of mothers. So whenever a researcher is about to embark on a study, where we usually start is with questions. Questions are a great place to start with most things because questions invite curiosity and creativity and possibility. So in Brene Brown's research on shame, her aims, the questions that she proposed were why and how women experience shame, how does shame impact women, and what are the various processes and strategies that women employ to resolve their main concerns regarding the impact and consequences of shame. So Brene and her research team sat down and with these women and asked them three questions. How would you describe shame? How do you think shame impacts women? And how do you think women overcome shame and the impact that you just described? And so what Brene found from this research were definitions of shame, exploring how shame works in women's lives, and how women can be resilient to shame. So the definition of shame that emerged from her research was an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance and belonging. And because language itself is so important, because words and language have so much meaning attached to them, it's also important to indicate how the word, how shame and guilt are different from each other. And this is something else that arose from this research. So guilt would be, I've done something wrong. So there's some sort, it's a feeling that results from behaving in a flawed or bad way. Whereas shame is there's something wrong with me. So guilt would be, I've, I've done something wrong and bad, and I feel bad about it. And shame is, there is something deeply wrong with me and who I am. So let's relate this really quick back to moms. A lot of times, what we hear and talk about is mom guilt. And I'm, mom guilt for sure exists, right? That sort of feeling of, oh man, I didn't... I didn't act in the way that I would have wanted to. The way that I just responded to my kids was not in alignment with like the mom I want to be. Ugh, I feel guilty about that. But that's different from what I actually think I see more of in my clinical practice and in the moms that I work with in the support groups that I run is mom shame. And it's this feeling of there is something deeply wrong with me and how I feel about myself in this role as a mother. I would go as far as to say that with the moms that I work with in my private practice, 
that expressions or experiences of shame outweigh what I see in my practice, outweigh emotions such as fear or anxiety or anger. Shame is the one that shows up the most. And shame tends to be like best buddies with things like fear and best buddies with things like anger. And so even if somebody's presenting with depression or anxiety, I bet that right behind the corner, we're going to find some shame that lives in there too. So one of the other big things that came from Brene's research here was this idea that shame has to be understood as it relates to these three different things and that these three different things are totally related to each other. So that would be the psychosocial cultural ideas of shame. So the psychological components of shame would be how shame relates to our thoughts and our emotions and how all of that influences our behaviors and how we respond in different situations. And then there's the relational piece, right? So how shame shows up in the context of our relationships. And then there's a cultural component, right? So how are we, how does shame, how is shame influenced by our cultural context, right? So our belief systems, are the cultural groups that we're a part of, our communities, the political atmosphere, the media, right? So how is all of this influencing somebody's shame experience? So here's where I feel like it starts to get really interesting and really relatable to the experiences of being a mother. So out of the research, Brene Brown found that from her participants, when it came to shame, the main concerns that showed up and were related to the experience of shame were feelings of being trapped, of being of being and feeling powerless and isolated. Let me just say that one more time. The feelings of being trapped, powerless, and isolated. Wherever you're listening to this, if you are a mother, maybe you are driving to work or you're on a walk or you're in the kitchen doing some dishes or something, I don't know. Raise your hand if, as a mother, you've ever felt any of these things, being trapped, being powerless, or feeling isolated. I'm serious, though. Can you please just raise your hand? (laughs) I am raising my hand right now. I want to feel this, like, larger interwoven connection with all of you right now through our raised hands. So let's, let's unpack this for a little bit. So let's first talk about this piece of feeling trapped and how it relates to the unique experience of being a mother. And to drive home some of the points, what I'm going to do is share a personal story and experience. This is a story that I have definitely some feelings of shame around. And the reason I'm going to share it is because, and we'll get to this a little bit later, But from Brene's research, we also know that if we have a language that allows us to talk about shame, which then allows us to connect to others about our experiences with shame, that if we do that, that 100% supports shame resilience and can be really protective against the negative impact of shame. So I'm going to share this story with you. This is a memory I have, one of those 
you know, most of my memories from early motherhood are just one big emotional, <laughs> like exhausted blur. But there's a few key key moments and key memories that really stand out. And one of those would be this this memory. So I was exhausted uh, the night before my daughter had been up most of the night crying. Um, she seemed like she wanted to nurse and I would try to nurse her and she would just like scream at my breast and kept every time she would nurse, then she would be spitting up and crying some more. And then eventually when she would fall asleep, I'd be so revved up from the whole experience of trying to care for a screaming baby that I wouldn't be able to fall asleep. And then the minute that I got close enough to sleep was usually the moment, right, that she would wake up. So I was exhausted. Um, it was like the middle of the day and she was crying again. It was probably like 45 minutes of her crying. It felt like five hours. I was bouncing on a yoga ball and my mother-in-law came over. I had called her in like a moment of desperation, like I need help. And she walked in and she took my daughter and my daughter immediately stopped crying. And my mother-in-law turned to me and said, go get some rest. I've got this. And I went into my room, into our room, our bedroom, and just started crying and had the fantasy of leaving, of going and checking into a hotel room and closing the door and having silence and being alone and escaping motherhood. (laughs) And then what immediately followed that fantasy was a wave of shame. How could I even, how could I feel that way? How could I want to escape my child? And, and I can't, right? Like, even if I wanted to, I can't because I'm breastfeeding and we don't have any milk stored up. There's no bottles to give her. She probably wouldn't even take a bottle. I have to nourish her from my own body. And so I can't leave. I'm trapped. And then there was more that went into this, right? So there, there was the psychological piece, right? Which would be my thoughts and emotions around this experience and a feeling trapped and the feelings of shame, but there's also the relational pieces, right? There was my relationship with her, right? So it's like, I'm her mother. I should never have these thoughts. I should be, I should be, I should be loving this. I should, I should have enough grit inside of me to like get through those tough moments. Like what's wrong with me? And then there's also the relationship with my husband, right? So resentment that he's at work and he's not here to help me with these things in these moments. And then there's the relationship with my mother-in-law where I'm feeling resentful that she is able to calm my child and then having thoughts of would she, you know, she'd be better off if my mother-in-law was taking care of her and And then, so then that resent, those like little seeds of resentment were also getting planted. And then there's the cultural context, right? So now I'm also, what's swirling around me are the discourses of how I should be feeling as a mother, what I should be doing, right? And all of this is happening and I am feeling, I am like literally in a puddle of shame, And what I was also feeling while laying in that puddle of shame is powerless. So now let's talk a little bit about this piece of feeling powerless. I felt like I had no idea 
I had no idea how to change that situation and how to change how I was feeling about that situation. And can I remind you, I'm a licensed therapist and I didn't know what to do. I felt so powerless. And if I'm feeling powerless, I mean, I, I, at that point I had completed my master's in a year of clinical work. And that's basically like a lot of time spent figuring out how to support people and coming out of a really dark place. And I felt powerless in that moment. And I can't even imagine like other moms that don't have, didn't have the, that education and that training, like how are they doing it, right? If I'm struggling, guaranteed other moms are struggling with the same thing. But in a moment of being in your own puddle of shame, you're not thinking about that. You're not thinking about how your experience right then and there is probably interconnected in a really deep, intimate way with like every mother that has gone before you. I could have gone outside my room and looked my mother-in-law in the eyes and said, I'm struggling. This is so hard. And I could have opened up an opportunity for me to connect with her and for her to share with me her own stories of her own struggles. But the thing about shame is it silences us, right? It takes away, and that's part of the way in which it takes away our power. It's, it's, it silences us. So bringing it back to Brene's research, one of the things that they found is that the silencing and secret nature of shame makes it really difficult to identify and act on the choices that could potentially facilitate change, which leaves us feeling overwhelmingly, excruciatingly powerless. And so what emerges from the feelings of being a feeling trapped and a feeling powerless is isolation. Right? So I'm there I am sitting in my own puddle of shame and I'm feeling trapped and I'm feeling powerless like I don't know how to change anything. And I don't want anybody to know that I'm feeling that way. And I don't want to be I don't want to expose that vulnerability because I feel ashamed of it. And so what that means is that I'm either going to isolate myself to protect myself so that nobody sees it. Or when I do go out into the world and connect with others, connect with other moms or, you know, walk out of the room and connect with my mother-in-law, for example, I'm not going to show up with my real authentic self. I'm going to show up with some representative of how I think people, what I think people want to see, right? I don't, I think that people want to see a mom who's got it all together and doesn't have feelings of, of escaping <laughs> her motherhood identity. Um, I, so I, I show up how I think others, what I think others want to see. And that's not authentic. So that's not going to create real, a real sense of belonging or connection. And what's even worse than like being physically isolated <laughs> is being around a bunch of people and feeling alone. So in Brene's research article, there is this beautiful visual, and since you can't see it, I'm going to do my best to describe it for you. There is this visual of a spider web, literally a spider web, and in the middle of this, what she calls the shame web, are the three words trapped, powerless, and isolated. And on the outside of the web are these three questions or statements. 
what you should be, who you should be, and how you should be. So whenever the word should shows up, there should be like a little red flag or internal alarm system that starts going off because whenever the word should shows up, that's an indicator that we are stepping into a societal, sociocultural discourse. And discourses are messages that we receive, narrow interpretations of who women are supposed to be based on our identity, such as gender, race, class, sexual orientation, age, religious identity, and or our roles, right? Such as mother. And these sociocultural expectations are often imposed, enforced, or expressed by individuals and groups, such as self, ourselves, our families, our partners, our friends, our coworkers, membership groups. And the sociocultural expectations or discourses and the expression of these expectations by individuals and groups are usually in turn always being reinforced by media culture, such as television, advertising, marketing, film, music, social media. And so in this visual with the spider web, the shame web, in the middle you have trapped, powerless, and isolated. Around the web you have these questions of what you should be, who you should be, how you should be. And then in the web you have all these different things that seem to influence our answer to this of what we should be and who we should be and how we should be. And how when we get trapped in those beliefs, right, we're going to feel trapped, powerless, and isolated. All right, pretty heavy stuff, right? You know, I think this goes for a lot of things where you actually have to spend some time really deep diving into the heavy stuff before you can get to the good stuff. So that was really heavy stuff, but let's move into the space of the good stuff. What showed up in the research that offered support and ideas around how we could become more resilient to shame? So what the research participants indicated as being components of shame resilience were empathy, connection, power, and freedom. So let's dive a little deeper into this idea of empathy because the research participants actually indicated that experiencing empathy was the opposite of experiencing shame. So let's try to better understand empathy. So empathy is described as the ability to perceive a situation from the other person's perspective, to see, hear, and feel the unique world of the other. Some attributes of empathy have been identified as being able to see the world as others see it, to be non-judgmental, to understand another person's feelings, and to communicate our understanding of that person's feelings. And so what research participants shared was that when they were able to share their shame experiences with others and experience then empathy, real authentic empathy, that that their sense of connection and power was, was restored. And then the beautiful thing that can happen in connection is that we're then given given an opportunity to redefine and explore what's actually personally valuable and important to us. 
And from there, we can begin to unhook ourselves from the sociocultural discourses of what we should be and how we should be. So let's talk a little bit about how connection can show up in the context of motherhood. And I'm going to talk about connection by describing what I witness in the mom support groups that I host. So when I have a mom support group, I'll watch moms walk into the space and and there's they're guarded, right? There's some defenses there. And I don't think that's a necessarily bad thing. I think we all do that. Whenever we walk, step into a new space or a new relationship, we often do have some sense of protecting ourselves and um, guarding our vulnerability. But what I find is that when moms come in and they sit down and they take their shoes off and we begin the group, if one mom is willing to let her guard down, take off her metaphorical, I've got my shit together mask, (laughs) to take it off and to lean into vulnerability. The most beautiful thing happens when I watch one mom do that. It's like contagious. It's so beautiful to watch. By the end of one of those groups, it's almost like you can see amongst all the moms, there's like masks and guards and protective gear, but it's all just sort of thrown around the room. Like it's been taken off and people are willing to show up as their true selves and embrace vulnerability. And through that, these deep, authentic connections are built and empathy is experienced. And so this experience of forming connections and experiencing empathy and sharing our stories and being able to step into vulnerability can absolutely happen in the context of a support group. But I also believe it can happen in our everyday interactions and relationships. But we also want to be really intentional and mindful about this, right? Not everybody has earned the right to hear our shame story, right? So we want to identify who are the people in my life that I feel safe with, that I feel like I can put my mask down and take off the guards and pull out that vulnerable shame story and hand that over to them, right? The thing about shame, and this is, I'm pulling this from a metaphor that Brene, I believe Brene used in one of her books, is that shame, if you put shame in a Petri dish and in that Petri dish, you also threw in secrecy, isolation, and silence, that shame would fester and grow. If in that same Petri dish you threw in, with shame, you threw in connection with the right people, shame literally cannot grow in that environment. And so we really do have to find ways to step into and lean into connection with other people in sharing our vulnerabilities. The thing that we have to be able to do before any of that, though, is we have to be able to acknowledge our personal vulnerabilities. So Brene found in her research that when people experience shame, 
around something that they did not even realize that they were vulnerable to, that the impact of that is incredibly painful and toxic and detrimental. And I think that this is totally related to the experience of mothers because in so many ways, we're not prepared for how hard it's going to be. So much focus these days and always has been on preparing a mom for birth. And I think that's great, right? Like birth is a big thing and we should feel prepared uh, going into that. But then what about once the baby's out, right? Like how are we preparing moms for understanding and knowing what the possible vulnerabilities are going to be in the transition into motherhood? So in Brene's research, she found that when people were aware or had some level of recognition of what they may be vulnerable to in a situation, they'd be able to, they were able to then tell themselves, I understand what's happening and why. And then they were more likely to seek and find support and or protection like I know now I, okay, I knew, I, I knew this was going to happen or that I could struggle with this. I recognize this struggle because somebody had shared with me that this was a possible thing I would struggle with. And so I don't feel alone. And I feel like now I can go get some help and I can help myself in this situation and get support. And so Literally, the reason I'm recording this podcast right now is because if one woman who is a mom or wants to become a mom listens to this and then has an experience of shame or experiences vulnerability, emotional vulnerability as a mom, if there's any part of her that can say, gosh, you know, I remember listening to something about this as something that I could possibly experience. Or I remember Cassidy shared about her own puddle of shame. And if then she's able to say, okay, wow, I understand what's happening. And I know I'm not alone. And so maybe because of that, I can ask for help. Maybe that means that there's people out there that could support me or help me or who have had a similar experience to me. And if we're able to do that, we're going to be so much more resilient to shame. So another awareness building piece is going to be building what Brene calls in her research a critical awareness. So the critical awareness represents both the level of awareness a woman has about the social cultural forces that shape her experiences, and her ability to critically assess her personal experiences in the context of those forces. So the usefulness of being able to develop a critical awareness of context and cultural forces, sociocultural forces, is that you're then able to externalize the shame experience, right? So instead of this being, this is something that's wrong with me, I'm able to look at myself in the context of all of the messages, sometimes conflicting messages, sometimes unrealistic or rigid messages about who I'm supposed to be, how I'm supposed to be, and what I'm supposed to be doing. And if you're able to externalize and look at how these forces are impacting you, 
you can begin to sort of crawl out of that shame spiral of there is something wrong with me and begin to explore and look at how hard it is to be battling all these forces and through that potentially develop some self-compassion for yourself. And what also happens is that as you begin to make these forces that are typically invisible more visible, you're then able to really look at them and unpack them and ask yourself questions like, is it really, do I really align with this? You know, do I really align with this idea that I'm supposed to be this way or I should be doing this thing? Does that really align with my personal values, the things that I hold to be true and important? So when I was reading this part of Brene's research, I was like nodding vigorously and highlighting vigorously this part of it. And the big reason was because it just resonated for me personally, but also on based on research that I've done and discovered. So when I was in graduate school, I was a part of a research group. We were doing our own grounded theory uh, study, looking at how cu- how therapists can support couples in who are experiencing gender inequality. So inequality in the relationship and addressing things like gender and power. And one of the big things that we discovered in our grounded theory research was that the therapists have to, one, first reflect on their own sociocultural experiences with gender and power, but then also in working with the couple, they can support them in addressing those inequalities by actually externalizing the issue. So instead of making it about, you know, this is something that's in the two of you, Let's look at how what the impact has been on the sociocultural discourses and messages that both of you have that both of you have received around gender and how that's impacting your relationship and how you are interacting with each other and connecting with each other. And the beautiful thing that can happen in that context in couples work is that you begin to shift blame, right? Where partners tend to come in in a place of stuck in their position and blaming their partner and feeling really disconnected. But if you're able to externalize and begin to explore the impact of these larger sociocultural forces and discourses, the blame begins to diffuse a little bit and you begin to be able to show up with more empathy and compassion and through that connection. And so the reason I'm bringing all this up is because as a researcher, whenever you have done research and then you read somebody else's research that's completely different from your own and there's some sort of alignment, it's just really reinforcing. So let's bring this back to moms. When a mom is able to link their experiences to larger issues, they're less likely to individualize the situation and they're less likely to fall into this trap of feeling like they are bad or flawed or unworthy. And they're less likely to fall into this sort of pathologizing of their shame behavior in thinking there's something inherently wrong with just me, right? It becomes this sort of, it becomes this awareness of how the impact of these sociocultural messages and forces have had or the lack of education and support and resources. And a mom can actually begin to feel in that, right, connected to 
every other mom that has ever been or to other moms that she knows. And so the hope is that from there, a mom can find herself in a position to feel like she can reach out. She can reach out for support. She can find empathy. She can offer empathy. She can build support networks that would then allow her to identify, to allow her and the people she's connecting with to identify their shared experiences, which could then demystify the isolating properties of shame. The crazy thing is that oftentimes our experiences that make us feel the most alone or isolated are often the most universal experiences. And if we are brave enough to take the mask off, to let our guard down, to open up around our shame story or our vulnerability with the right people, we can begin to see that. So to summarize, we often talk about mom guilt. I think that what we're actually experiencing more of, though, often in these cases is mom shame and the ways in which we can become resilient to shame is in leaning in, stepping in to showing up with vulnerability, connecting with others, the right others, being able to offer empathy and through our connections experience empathy, to become more aware of the impact of sociocultural forces on our experiences of ourselves and how that can lead to experiences of shame. We can also you know, combat that by connecting with others and realizing that we're all experiencing these things and through those conversations can then begin to explore and redefine what's actually important to us, what our personal values are, how we, well, how we want to define and refine what motherhood can look like and what's possible. I totally believe that mother support groups can be a beautiful place to do some of this work. Even if you haven't had your baby yet, if you're pregnant, find a support group that would allow you to share that space with them too, because what, what could happen there is you can be exposed to others' experiences and others' vulnerabilities, which would then give you, you wouldn't be as vulnerable because you will have heard about it before, right? It's not going to take you by surprise. And like from Brene's Brown research, what they found that if we are aware of our vulnerabilities and the possibility, the possibilities of vulnerabilities, if we're aware of these we're more likely to be able to recognize them when they show up and then ask for help or get support. I may be biased, but I also believe that therapy can be a beautiful space in which somebody can come in, hopefully develop a trusting, safe relationship where they can begin to experience what it might feel like to step into and lean into vulnerability to share their shame story with somebody who's going to show up with empathy and to hand over that sort of shame story to that person and have them help you better understand it and explore it 
and support you in seeking out natural supports and other connections in your life. So I hope that this podcast episode was helpful. I really enjoyed jumping into Brene Brown's original research and deconstructing it with you in the context of motherhood and mom guilt or what we would call now mom shame. If you found this episode helpful and if you know somebody who is pregnant or a mom who might benefit from hearing some of these things and hearing about the research and how research around shame intersects with the experience of becoming a mom or being a mom, then I would be so stoked if you shared this with them. I think that the more and more that we have conversations around shame and mom shame, that the better off we're going to be, right? Because remember, shame literally cannot thrive and exist if we talk about it and if we connect around our experiences. For more information on my clinical practice and also support groups, uh, my website is www.drcassidymft.com. Postpartum Support International is an incredible resource for postpartum moms who may be looking for resources or support groups. Psychology Today is another great resource for looking for a therapist in your area. And you can look specifically based on your insurance or the needs or the presenting problem that you have. I'm so grateful for you listening today. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. If you did, you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Have a great day. Thank you.